No, no, no amount of drugs would have made this a more pleasant <laughs> viewing experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, man, I was like, this, this is, I'm like, I felt pretty bad. I was like, I kind of feel bad asking these guys to do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I absolutely hated it, but I enjoyed watching it, if that makes any sense. Like there's this like 16 year old kid just like drinking alcohol with his buddies, but like in college. But it but the problem is that they're they're playing a role playing game. Yeah, but not that this like (laughs) this dude that has way too many fucking hats. (laughs) I'm so glad you noticed. Drinks wine from like nine years in the future or like five years in the future what the fuck oh there he is what's up not too much um sorry i'm just gonna give a preliminary (laughs) sorry (laughs) for what um this is this movie (laughs) you mean one of the best the best nights of my life Welcome to the third episode of, God, I was almost going to call this by the movie title. Welcome to the third episode of Movies from Green Hell. Uh, It's the podcast movie review show where we talk about stoner comedies and horror movies that have heavy metal references or really any such movie that has a tenuous connection to those two things. Um, And I bring along people to... I mean, it just looks like at this point suffered through everything. Um, so, well, I uh, I'm gonna have to start watching some good movies at some point because, damn. Uh, but joining me for this endeavor, uh, returning guests from the regular Diary of Doom podcast, uh, we've got Brian Reed and Brian Sweeney from Doomsday Prophet. To no way. Yeah, to help guide us through Mazes and Monsters, uh, 1982, a made-for-TV cautionary tale of impeccably stupid proportions so when, when you pitch this to me i i kind of assumed that there was going to be some sort of uh heavy metal tie of some sort i think that's only in the fact that it's loosely about dungeons and dragons because and that music definitely sound like it sounded like uh this the soundtrack made me feel like i was at massage envy uh, and there was absolutely... yeah, what was up with the yeah well we'll get into it <laughs> so what happens when you buy royalty free music for your movie <sighs> i just watched another movie today for another podcast i hope you suffer and we watched 
I think the, this one was worse was this movie called Gondrosaurus Rex. And let me tell you, <laughs> like public access television made on a camcorder productions, like to the point where the timestamp was showing up in footage that was just like <laughs> archival footage of uh, police and SWAT uh, officers like making off with bundles of marijuana um yeah very bad movie you can listen to that over at i hope you suffer like in a couple of weeks or whenever or this will it'll be out by the time this episode comes out heavy metal obviously has pulled a lot from dungeons and dragons in the past you know easy example i believe caius that's a dungeons and dragons reference it's a some kind of monster I've ever met a headbanger who doesn't like Dungeons and Dragons, at least, <laughs> at least in like a passing sense, right? Like as a casual, a casual thing, it's definitely part of the culture. It's, I, I think they're kind of bound, uh, bonded by blood, if you will, because of the satanic panic. Oh, um, yeah, that and, was, yeah, exactly. And like, all that nonsense about, you know, backmasking and role playing games and demons and, you know, all kinds of fantastical stuff that ended up just making it all seem way cooler and like all i mean yeah because i made a few notes about that because like i'm not a DD player but uh you two are and i wanted to have you come on because i do know some older folks uh who grew up during this time that are DD players but i think you know i think the three of us are closer in age and i remember when we were talking, when I had you on the regular podcast, Brian, you referred to the world we live in as millenarian, um, which <laughs> goes perfectly with you bringing up the shit like the satanic panic uh, and whatnot. I'm actually reading a book about that right now. It's really interesting because like, you know, it's basically happening again. So I thought it would just be interesting to have a bit of a younger take on a movie like this because we're just so divorced from that era and have like even as kids probably had looked would look at something like this and say, God, this is like just I'm having a hard like I get what they're saying, but I'm having a hard time like stomaching it. You know, they're expecting kids and young adults to be like, oh, this is so dramatic and affecting. And it's just like not. But really, that's just my way of asking, like, how did you get into D&D and what do you like about D? I actually I really got into D&D at the beginning of the pandemic because it was something that you could do socially that um the zoom like web conferencing format actually works really well for because it, it's not an open-ended conversation you you kind of have some structure to it so you know generally you're not trying to talk over each other and kind of pretend it's a cocktail party when it's i'd been curious about it for a long time growing up it was just like the provenance of nerds and you know it kind of had that that stigma around it so i didn't have any friends growing up that played it but i can't remember exactly when i it clicked in my head but when i i realized that it's not so much a game with an objective to win and it's really more a storytelling exercise that you're the way i i have pitched it to people is it's collaborative real-time storytelling so, you know, you have some loose parameters and you have a group of people who are improvising the parts of certain characters. From there, it's pretty much a blank slate and you, you make it what you want it to be, as serious or as silly as you care for it to be. 
And in my experience, it usually tilts towards the silly. It's been a really good way to keep in touch with people through uh, through the quarantines and keep in touch with friends who are out of town or, you know, playing an in-person game, just kind of sit around the table and drink some beers and make jokes at each other. That sounds horrible. Like, I think we should ban it. <laughs> I know, right? Um, also, I'm now possessed by seven demons. Um, <laughs> it was six. <laughs> yeah. I, I, added, I added a fresh one since I started playing, but, you know, you get used to it. Get to swap a bit it out. Did you want to comment on that, Ryan, at all, or...? I'm kicking myself for avoiding D&D for so long because I feel like growing up, it would very much have been my shit. But I didn't know of it as more collaborative storytelling. I just thought of it as some game that was probably way more complicated and more involved mm -hmm. than Magic the Gathering, which was the like the level of my nerddom that I dove into in high school and have since started playing again you uh, like but it's like surface level nerddom it's it's yeah it's surface level nerddom it's but i went full nerddom <laughs> i i can't do that i've never been good at card games magic's not just a card game man it's a, it's <laughs> oh boy a way of life no it's <laughs> it's a way of getting your money taking it away from you because you spend a lot on it you end up me personally compared to like everyone else who plays probably not <laughs> yeah the thing about magic is you i mean you don't have to but they're the way they've marketed it is really smart where essentially you just have to keep buying new decks of cards and you know that's that's not all bad it's a fun it's a fun hobby just collecting them the art's cool and it's fun to play but D, &D you, you can much. get extremely elaborate with yeah. source books and miniature minifigures and and like tabletop terrains and stuff but ultimately all you really need is like a notebook and a pencil and, and friends or at least like loose acquaintances who are willing to sit down <laughs> and play D D. am sure there's like you know little groups was like hey i need someone to like i'm in the blah blah area does anyone be like oh yeah yeah let's meet up we'll do a round whatever blah yeah. blah yeah i mean but i, I all that again like i don't see how this is a bad thing you know and i'm not yeah. saying this from like a point of ignorance like i understand the context of everything but i'm saying like how could this be a bad thing <laughs> because it has themes like because it, it it's a world that exists with demons and necromancy and dark magic and and puts you in a role to potentially be using that stuff i think people were thinking like if my kid is prompted to imagine this stuff then they're going to think it's cool and they're going to want to do it in real life as though it's real and yeah i don't know it it just seems like you know that kind of mass hysteria that just snowballs around something that seems relatively innocent but people did the same thing with harry potter and not because yep. of jk rowling's awful views about trans people but because he was a wizard and yeah. magic is evil and don't want to expose the kids to that for reasons but you know to most people it's just okay this is a fantasy novel and there's nothing inherently like anything about <laughs> it starts it. and ends there bring, yeah. bring it back to the movie i will say the movie if it was one of the if it was intended to be an anti D, &D movie like warning because it was like what a, a made for tv thing mm -hmm. I think it was like based on like loosely based on a 
true story or something like that about a kid who yeah i have lost his mind and killed on it here to go over the the source material in the book because i'm dubious yeah but so, <laughs> so where is going with it i mean it, it's agenda is basically to to get people to think that D is bad and not want to play it and i think to that point if i knew nothing about D, i would say it was very successful because <laughs> that was really? some of the most boring fucking shit that i <laughs> ever experienced in a D session like some like what fucking like lizard person thing like that that's it that's all you got like i know what the fuck i want i i was hoping for some for some goblins and some like evil shit and some i don't know action but it was just a bunch of sad kids that love hats <laughs> no only one of them <laughs> loved hats one of them <laughs> loved hats and he he the rest eventually... of them like hats enough not to say anything to the other one that yeah but like y- you weren't following the real like the the real themes of the of the movie because you know he had this sort of crisis about you know a faith in himself and and as he matured through that process you could tell he was coming into you know he, he was coming of age because that at that point some time between like a third of the way through and halfway through the movie he just stopped wearing hats altogether <laughs> it's a comment on existentialism Someone told him to stop wearing them because it makes your hair you, you go bald faster. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I don't think it would have dissuaded me from playing Dungeons and Dragons. I think ultimately the the movie the game seemed to have very little to do with anything that yeah. was wrong with these people. I, I guess what I was going for is a lot of the stuff that's like, hey, this is bad. Don't do that. Makes the thing look really fucking cool. Like when you yeah. have banned books. Like it makes you kind of want to go read those books. Like, what's so fucking bad about these books? You got yeah, and then you read it, and you're like, that makes sense. Why is this banned? Everyone should. Yeah, and then you watch Mazes and Monsters, and you're like, what? Why this is so fucking stupid? Why would anybody play this game? This is the irony being that like half the country is living in a fucking LARP right now. Like, (laughs) that's the real like irony of the whole thing. So. (laughs) <laughs> so to provide some context and also just going to say this before we get started, like I'll just issue out a trigger warning because we will be discussing suicide during this episode and we are not poking fun at any of the actual people who were troubled and took their lives as we'll touch on shortly. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I think this movie is downright insensitive to people who actually suffer from suicidal thoughts because the 100 the alleged cause is a complete misdirection. So I just wanted to put that out there for yeah. anybody. So yeah, just to reiterate, we are not belittling like the people who were going through some difficult times and unfortunately took their took their lives and it became part of the events of what led to the creation of this very very bad movie. But it is based on a book from 1981 of the same name by a woman named Rana Jaffe, who was inspired by the alleged steam tunnel incidents. These were urban myths developed during the infancy of role-playing games, generally purporting that university students playing a live-action version of Dungeons & Dragons or similar game disappeared into utility tunnels of schools and became lost, and in some cases died of hypothermia or other causes. The most prominent case was that of James Dallas Egbert III. Pulling this from the Wikipedia, which seems to be pretty accurate. Egbert? Um, yeah. Damn. It's, it's quite a name. 
Uh, he had played Dungeons and Dragons and did in fact go into the steam tunnels of his school, but it was with the intent of taking his life. Uh, right. When the attempt failed, he hid at various friends' houses for several weeks. And during this time, private investigator hired by his parents to find him speculated in the press that perhaps he had gone into the steam tunnels to play a live version of the game and gotten lost. The media reported the theory as fact, horrible ethics right there, uh, and caused controversy over the effects of playing the game. And then the book was taken as literal fact because most people had never heard of D&D. And as a result, this created a media circus and it was all sensationalism that tied in perfectly with the satanic panic that we had mentioned. And another result of this was the formation of BAD with two Ds, Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons by <laughs> Patricia Pulling, whose son also sadly took his life. But she believed that that happened as a direct result of him playing D&D, going as far to filing a wrongful death lawsuit against her son's high school principal, holding him responsible for what she claimed was a D&D curse placed upon her son's character shortly before his death, and also against TSR Inc., D&D's publishers. She appeared on an episode of 60 Minutes, uh, uh, along with Gary Gygax, the creator of D&D, and that was aired in 1985. And Bad described D&D as... This is a lot of words. A fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summer, uh, summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. See, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, no, 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 no. You Let's read back up. The rape is not good. That's not good. No, of course not. Right. I mean, the the whole litany of awful, you know, occult vices and things that they get into. First off, not entirely true. And I won't say it's complete fabrication because there are obviously like magic and spells and and demons but so much of it is dependent on who's playing and how they're deciding to play it together mm -hmm. yeah. like you could make a completely g-rated non-magical D, D adventure if you really wanted to you could also make the darkest most messed up game that you could conjure if that's what you wanted to do i guess i can kind of understand where a grieving parent is looking for answers that probably aren't there and they look to the things that they don't necessarily understand that their kids were into as being part of the influence but i just i have a really hard time even accepting that something like that could could even be a strong influence i mean clearly there's something else that's already going on and it's possible that gaming, instead of being a constructive outlet, becomes an exacerbating factor. I think that's true of pretty much anything. But it just see, it seems to me like parents who really don't know how to make sense of something senseless trying to grab onto whatever they can. And I, you know, I'm certainly empathetic to to that situation. It just feels like, you know, sort of like the parents that sued Judas Priest when when their kid committed suicide yeah. after while listening to Judas Priest. It's not the band that created the problem. There's probably some correlation into why somebody who was feeling alone in the world 
was attracted to heavy metal because it's music that is cathartic and offers escapism and a lot of times at least you know for me is is music that makes you feel less alone but uh, you know i don't think there's any sort of causal relationship it just seems like a a misdirection like you said dylan where in the movie i think the movie maybe accidentally kind of showed this because like you know, the movie deals with suicide and mental health crises and that sort of thing. I think they're trying to get you to infer that the game is what's sort of distorting these kids' minds. But, like, when they talk about their backstories and, like, the glimpses they show of their family lives, like, these kids have a lot of reasons to be yeah, depressed exactly. and messed up that have nothing to do with the game. Oh, 100%. I mean, you can see it right there and, like, we'll get into it at just to wrap up on bad. And I'll tell you, like probably one of the factors in that, like what was happening here. And if this is the fallout of someone who is going through grief and they kind of latch on to something that they think like, Oh, this must explain it. It'll go away. You know, uh, bad got successful through surprise, surprise, conservative Christian media properties, as well as other mainstream outlets Patricia Bulling obtained a private investigator's license, became a consultant to law enforcement, and was an expert witness in several gaming-related lawsuits, all of which wound up losing in the court. So uh, she was LARPing as law enforcement, basically? Yeah, I mean, it all, it's crazy to think that, like, this shit was happening before, you know, QAnon took over or something <laughs> like that. Uh, she co-authored a book called The Devil's Web, Who is Stalking Your Children for Satan?, uh, came out in August 1989, and it makes no distinction between H.P. Lovecraft's fictional Necronomicon and the Simon Necronomicon, which is a realization of the book. One portion of the book urges police officers to open interrogations of suspected teenage occultists with the question, have you read the Necronomicon or are you familiar with it? <laughs> Could you imagine like having a cop walk up to you just be like, are you familiar with the Necronomicon? Or they just say it like completely wrong. I would just like to be the person that answers, well, which version are you talking about? <laughs> I'd be like, because I just picked like, up like evil the... I've seen all of the Evil Dead movies and I yeah. love yeah. them. That never Necronomicon? That, that, that one? Or are we talking yeah. the HP Lovecraft or the Simon Necronomicon based on HP Lovecraft, but really a separate entity unto itself? Or, you know, just the sort of mythological book of the dead and that being a sort of like fill in for whatever sort of, you know, arcane grimoire you, you want it to be. Yeah, that one from The Mummy Returns. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's just like, yeah, this it is sounds what like you're... someone rolled a nat one on their intelligence check. <laughs> Critical failure. Um, uh, as the popularity of D&D &D and other role-playing games increased, see, it still managed to get, like, it still managed to kind of get out of this rut. Patricia Bulling's views and statements were increasingly called into question. For example, she once told a newspaper reporter that 8% of the people living, this is fucking amazing. Uh, this blew my mind. She once told a newspaper reporter that 8% of people living in Richmond, Virginia were Satanists. She had arrived at that figure, she explained, by estimating that 4% of adults and 4% of teenagers were involved with Satanism and added them to get 8%. When the reporter informed her that mathematically that was 4%, not 8%, she claimed that it did not matter because even 8% was a conservative figure. <laughs> I mean, there is a good metal scene in Richmond. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. I... Richmond homies, what's up? 
when this when this airs, uh, leave a comment. Tell us how, what the percentage of Satanists in Richmond you think is the accurate figure. <laughs> oh, you got right your here. chief shirt. I, I guess we should probably like distinguish between theistic Satanists and atheistic Satanists. Uh, for for the sake of the Richmond Satanism census, let's let's combine the the sects. The Richmond Satanism come together. census. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, yeah. The we'll let's talk about this silly movie. So the movie begins with police and press investigating an incident at some caverns. Someone who's playing M and M's, which is what I'm going to refer to it from now on as evidently took the game too far and like you were saying like this movie has a lot of classic 80s anxieties body weight your sugar consumption evil rpgs obviously uh you know controlling parents fear of the future they're just missing child predators basically and you would have had all the fucking everything like checked off uh we meet our four main characters, so we there's Jay, Kate, uh, Daniel, and Robbie. And Jay has this, like, JJ. weird... <laughs> oh, it's JJ's Jay. The cat in the hats. Yeah, <laughs> and he has a bird. And yes. a really shitty room, which he's not wrong about. That is yeah, a really like, fucked up, white tiled. Like, that's a fucking murder well, room. I looks like a bathroom. to die First in that off. room. It was the Chekhov's <laughs> gun that did not go off in that movie. I, I, and you're you're right but i do want to backtrack just a step because the opening scene you know the the crime scene investigation as it were where the police and the press are coming in they're reporting a suicide um, yes it, it goes over to the news reporter who is you know saying that uh, uh kids were playing m&ms and they got out of hand and uh somebody died and then the movie really starts you know in in a flashback it, it goes back a few months sort of leading up to this. So this intro really sets it up that the climax of the movie is the suicide or murder-suicide of one of the, the players of this game. <laughs> that is not the case. <laughs> Which, I, you know, but also seems like totally like it was like it would be based on, you know, the fear of the occult influence in, in D&D that it would turn your kids violent. That's not what happened. Not at all. <laughs> no, no, it's truly bizarre how this movie begins in Medius Ray and then just the way it goes. Like, I don't know. I mean, I've seen other movies that do it and it like makes sense, but this was not one of them. But yeah, you want to talk about JJ's uh, hospital room? <laughs> yeah. I, like, he wasn't wrong when he was yelling at his mom about it, but also at the same time, I couldn't take his ass seriously in that safari hat or whatever the fuck he was wearing. Yeah, so I made a note here. Where where is it? yeah, that JJ has a different hat for every scene. Like I literally wrote down, like, oh my god, is he gonna be wearing a different hat like in every scene? And he does he wear does a throw lot out of hats, hat. so he has to start recycling them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So he wears the cowboy hat twice. The they definitely were not twice. as committed to the bit as they could have been. <laughs> <laughs> he wears a hard hat, he has a fedora, a fucking course. Uh, wears that twice, a pith helmet, and then like a hunter's cap or like a Sherlock Holmes cap or something yeah. like that. Also important to mention that they set him up as sort of like a child prodigy, like super high IQ, and he's 16 and a sophomore in college. Yep. Uh, really strange. Doesn't stop 
him from being the one to host all the parties with underage drinking, but which uh, is somehow in the it, it, not the problem with this. Like if you if you think about <laughs> things that, like, of everything that could have been arguably problematic, I'm not again, I'm not saying it is, but that was probably the most problematic thing that happened in the whole fucking movie. Yeah, well, like you, even you, a thing that was actually illegal, and even I'm yeah. not sure exactly when the the legal age changed. But it was never 16. It was never so, yeah. It was no, it's still illegal. And yet JJ throws like fucking ragers. Like, yeah. it's like that's not what the parents are scared and worried about. Yeah, it, it yes. It this it's so all it's all over the place. Like there's nothing in here is consistent. I I had a note that was these kids drink like they had a dinner party in the Hamptons. They drink so much. <laughs> And, and so weirdly. well, apparently they drink well enough they can get wine from the future. Because <laughs> it came out in what, 81, 82, 80 or something like that? And, uh, and he goes, oh, Tom Hanks brings good in, year. <laughs> it, he brings in a bottle of wine and the kid's like, oh, 87, great year. I, I, they didn't address it. There, I thought there was going to be an aspect of time travel in this movie and I was sorely disappointed. Or that like if those things were jokes kind of like jj's hats like they're trying to like put some levity in it there's no payoff it's like all set up and no punchline none no and then they just abandon it at some point because they ran out of hats i guess the hat budget (laughs) was uh getting out of hand jj demanded that he have hats and they had to take it out of tom hanks's uh uh paycheck (laughs) which is why this was not his launch platform can we we talk about how probably like three hamburgers this movie should have put a nail into tom hanks's career somehow he overcame this like this is some seriously bad even bad acting on his on his behalf oh this this should have like this was what his first uh his first starring role. Starring role yeah. in a made-for-TV movie, and that should have killed his career. Well, you know, it. I think this movie is really good for anybody who's, you know, experiencing some self-doubt that, like, they're at a plateau where they just can't really succeed in the ways that they want to because Tom Hanks is one of the most recognizable and beloved actors in American cinema, and he made this movie. <laughs> I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be somewhere good. Oof. Yeah. So, I mean, we got to meet the rest of these fools because there's Kate, who really just appears to be her own mother's age. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm being honest. And like at least six inches taller than her mother. <laughs> yeah. And, and for when they introduced her, I was like, "Oh, is this a relationship?" And oh no, that's her mother. But also, <laughs> what she was giving a monologue about how she didn't want to be. Like, you know, the, the stereotype of woman. Block. She didn't want to fall into the traditional gender roles. Mm-hmm. And then throughout the movie, she ends up... that Her character just gets written to the traditional gender roles of, oh, she's the one woman in the group. All of the dudes are going to try to sleep with her. And the only one who doesn't is the one who's underage. Yep. Yeah, but he wanted to. Oh, he very much wanted but to. But he... <laughs> that also would have been illegal. Yep. Well, and yep. also, like... Wasn't that oh, kind of the gist of of his suicidal monologue? That they just swept under the rug, like he was going to go commit suicide. Oh, yeah. In the cave yes, and then... yeah, yeah. Again, so like that's something that happens. He is apparently borderline and is just like 
hey bird i'm gonna go do this now and the bird's just like okay and he goes to <laughs> the caves and just is like i'm not gonna do this anymore and then the movie is just like we are not gonna talk about this anymore i thought i thought where the where the movie was going to go or where it should have gone was him it turning into a slasher fic a slasher film and he is luring his friends into this cave to murder them and get his revenge that i feel like would have tracked and been a far more interesting movie and Maybe when you direct the gritty reboot, you can make that happen. <laughs> yeah, you do the, the two for reboot of mo- Mazes and Monsters. I actually would be curious to see which movie is worse. I think I know the answer, but between this and the actual Dungeons and Dragons movie that came out with, I think, Marlon Wayans in it. I wrote down, we should have just watched the real one, but then I was like, ah, maybe we shouldn't watch that one but that one, That one is supposed to be Dungeons & Dragons. This one yeah. is supposed to be about Dungeons & Dragons and the nefarious effects it has on real kids with real problems like dressing <laughs> like 50-year-olds and drinking wine <laughs> from the future. We might well, have to revisit. They are new the... Dungeons & Dragons, aren't they? They're like, they're actually going to do... I believe well, so, Jeremy yeah. Irons and his acting come back. <laughs> oh, really? I, nice. I'm not. I hope they don't. But if they did, I would. It would be. Oh, man, I, he's like. I think there's a part in that where he's like, or something like that. <laughs> I don't. Know. I I have never seen the Dungeons and Dragons movie, uh, or the the animated TV series. This definitely made me interested to see the Dungeons and Dragons movie. In Dungeons and Dragons, the 2023 film so far in the cast, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, okay. Justice Smith, Reggie Jean Page, Hugh Grant. As JJ? <laughs> oh. Is he on the dungeon? Is he the dungeon? <laughs> Hugh Grant as the dungeon. <laughs> it's like being John Malkovich, just slightly, you know tweaked (laughs) no okay so kate is the strong independent female who as soon as she says that that's who she is abandons behaving like that in just about every possible way there is um the pretty boy dan who his problem is that he's just so handsome so nobody wants to get to know him and see his soft (laughs) side and, and he's really torn he's up like, inside about it. And because he could be at MIT, but he's like, who will make the games? And it's like, what are you, what? <laughs> yes. I'm like, there's no way this guy is a game designer. No game MIT, designer looks like that. MIT computer science also won't teach you how to make games. That's what they don't tell you. You have to go to some unheard of, like, you know, C student college in rural Ohio if you want to make video games. I think it was in New York because I would imagine that, like, considering yeah. that winds up in New York City somehow, wherever this place is, I was like, is this like in Westchester? I don't know. I wasn't it, paying attention. It to makes that sense. Much to I mean, there's definitely some Boston references because they talked about MIT and they talked about Tufts. That's um, true. So it must be somewhere in that New England near the city. Let's just say Connecticut. Sure. Connecticut sucks. It's Connecticut-ish. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we got Tom Hanks' Robbie, or Gump, as I referred to him as, <laughs> and Will. He's got a dickhead dad and a drunk mom, and they don't want him to play M&Ms. So 
inevitably Jay and Robbie meet and the way that JJ runs up to uh, Gump, I'd be like, you need to slow your roll. No pun intended. Can we talk about, because they met at a a community posting board. Yes. Because Gump was totally scoping out what was going on. And one thing very much stood out to me on that board. What the fuck is a guitar lecture? (laughs) I didn't see that. Is that is that a Steve Vai show? Oh my god! <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> Guitar lecture, just like I'm Steve Vai, and it's like I'm just gonna talk at. It's like those old. You ever see those like old John Petrucci videos? Where yeah. it's like his guitar things, and then they like overdub, and it's like, oh, I'm John Petrucci. Oh, and the one we talking about, this pedal opens up the sun. <laughs> yeah, I use this one to shoot bees at the people in the front row of the concerts <laughs> and murder them. They, I, then I drink their blood or some stupid shit like that. <laughs> but yeah, they all wind up becoming, forming their little Eminem club. And like, how... Is it accurate to D&D or is it just seem like they're just like they made some shit up? Um, actually, you know, I will say there were a few things that were pretty accurate um, in my experience of playing D&D. One is, you know, you really need a minimum of four people to, to keep things interesting. You can do it with less, but four is a is a good number. Probably should have been more like five, but, you know, that's neither here nor there because, you know, the, the DM is a person too and and that takes up a seat at the table but they're not actually part of the adventuring party i think they called it like what did they call the the dm in this it was the like the game it was like the maze master i think yeah something like that which of course was dan uh mr adonis until jj decided to take the power for himself But yeah, the, uh, the the most realistic thing was there was one scene where, you know, they're just really kind of like the, the team is really coming together. You know, they've twisted Robbie's arm into going against his parents' wishes and getting back into the game. And, and they're getting, they're really kind of getting their momentum and they're all just like, when are we going to play next? It's really, really getting going. And uh, JJ and Dan are talking and they're like, how about Tuesday? Like, yeah, that works for me. Go ask Robbie. And they go talk to him. He's like, oh, no, I can't do Tuesday, but maybe Wednesday. And the idea of the difficulty of coordinating everybody's schedules to play, very accurate. Yeah, like yeah. trying to set up recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but obviously, Gump and Kate get together and they have a dating montage like as their relationship blossoms set to awful music that I must find on the internet. Yes. Uh, and the, we uh, learned that, <laughs> dude, it's so bad. It rivaled um, the room. In, yeah, in it was like, dumb it was sincerely music. some of the worst. Like, just, They probably got it from the same like stock music cassette. As the I room. would not be shocked. We've learned that Gump had a brother who ran away and he said he never kept in touch after he left for N- NYC. And there's this really weird nightmare scene of him just like jogging and like yelling it. I don't know. I'd be scared if this happened too. Um, and JJ really wants to play more M&Ms, but nobody else does. So this is when he just casually tells his bird that he is contemplating taking his life. 
and he goes down to the local Pequod caverns and doesn't Which wind up forbidden. doing this. They're forbidden. Yes. Forbidden. 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 I think I they actually why. refer to it as the forbidden Pequod caverns at one point. Like the normal people? Yes, the normal people do. That's like, like even more hilarious. They're like the forbidden land. I'm like, oh, so which, you're like, like you're basically LARPing. it's it they're they're trying to get that like it's caverns that are known to be unsafe and easy to get lost in. So they put up a sign that says, Don't go in here, it's dangerous. And like you'd be arrested for trespassing or whatever. Uh and they're like, Oh, the forbidden Pequod caverns. This sounds dangerous. <laughs> I'm in. I mean like my friends and I definitely explored a bunch of shit around my town when we were kids that we probably shouldn't have of and course. like played and you know and you know played on like railroad tracks and shit like that. I don't ever recall there being like just this fucking like massive cavern system that you could go in and it's just like like really what was so dangerous about it? I mean it was well lit. It, had it was torches. amazingly well lit for a cave. <laughs> it had torches. Like, I don't know. It yeah. was like practically had handrails. Perfect place to build a real life M&M set. Yeah. Um, yeah. So th- we abandoned this, this plot point here. Then Gump. Oh my God. This scene. Then Gump buys a double bed for him and Kate and uh, <laughs> to move in together. And he's, she's like, he's like, go. he's like, uh, keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. And brings her in the room. And then is like, okay, look. And she's like, oh, it's a double bed. And then just says like, like, (laughs) just this this sound comes out of his mouth. No, like, which is the right (laughs) thing to say. And this is good for him. Just because you squeezed a double bed into your dorm room doesn't mean I want to move across the hall and live with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's like, dude, you're not getting, you're in college. Like, are you trying to get married? It's so bizarre. I think they had to set that up so that they could suggest where their relationship was going and perhaps had already been. Bad uh, writing. To set up, um, <laughs> without having to have a sex scene in this made-for-TV movie. Um, oh, well, I, trust and, me, I know that that wouldn't happen. And also setting up the contrast of uh, Robbie, a.k.a. Gump, suddenly being like, Nope, I have to be celibate. I am a holy man. Because he has a dream and he's like and his his brother and a robe tells him that he needs to become more like a holy man and he has to be celibate and deny himself all pleasures and and so that yeah. is how it was supposed to be. I was just baffled by robe guy at the what the fuck did they film this down? It looked like an old septic tunnel, like it was it's like one great of those hall. <laughs> yeah, great hall, my ass. <laughs> so the brother's cheap. name was Hall, which I think they was oh, completely okay. contrived just to make that pun so they could look at the map and be like, Hall, that was his dead brother's name or his runaway brother's name. It, and like suddenly put together this like, I, I incredibly complex that... web of clues that was basically like I'm going to the two towers to find my brother. I love how this movie tries to be so like deep and dense and you know thematic, and then they have the audacity to put in some fucking shit like we're gonna make a joke about his brother's name being Hall, and you see him down the end of a hall. <laughs> Ugh. Makes me angry. 
Um, I can't tell if it was a joke or if they're just stupid. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This movie's a joke. Eventually, JJ uh, makes his character jump into a pit of spikes when they're playing him. So characters, and this is when he proposes to bring the game to real life. But it's got to keep a secret. I did like that they stole their costumes from the theater and art departments. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny. It was maybe the only funny part in the movie. Do you remember uh, how they were they... trying to be incognito as they were leaving? Yeah, the I know. They're like, oh man, like... I can't believe we stole these things from the place right behind us that we're wearing. You know, well, people also, are walking by like, uh, what the fuck? I, I was like, they were all sneaking around like, can't be seen in these costumes. I was like, you're college kids. People go to costume parties for no reason all the time. Like, you're the, like, of all the times in a person, times and places in a person's life where nobody's going to bat an eye at you wearing a costume for some unknown reason, you're living it. And you're still like, oh, can't let them see. I felt like the whole college experience that they portrayed was uh, completely out of touch with reality. I want to go to that college. I don't. <laughs> it, just seems, it just seems like you can get like free alcohol constantly. Everyone's like happy. Not fun <laughs> alcohol. You get like a Sauvignon Blanc from the future. <laughs> and you have it'll, to like, you know. It'll be fucking cat pissed by then. You have to wear Cosby sweaters. Like. <laughs> that's that's what this whole college revolves around. There's four kids there and then like a rotating cast of extras and like the one guy who has a skeleton that he's willing to trade for a free dinner. And uh, there's a theater department. There's really no indication of any other sort of like they make vague mentions to classes, but no idea what, you know, anybody's programs are unless I missed something like it just seems it. just seems the most generic college except filtered through the ideal of a 50 year old basically I like not what they accurate. not what they wanted when they were 18 but what they want now just in college like yeah we're gonna so. we're gonna have all our friends over and we're gonna have some nice wines and then we're all gonna <laughs> we're gonna have, we're gonna have some be, finger sandwiches and then lights out by 10. <laughs> I mean, lights out by ten. I I could abide by that now, but uh, sure. all the rest. Yeah, me no. too. But I'm not in college anymore. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So once they sneak off with their uh, art department uh, costumes, they get down into the caverns. JJ's a dungeon master. He's got it tricked out with skeletons, and Gump hallucinates seeing this. As we mentioned, wonderfully cheap-looking scaly rubber beast. So he stabs it while screaming, and like obviously there's nothing there. Th this thing looks very stupid. <laughs> I kind of liked it. It was some, like, some primo foreshadowing, though, right there. I actually yes. like I what I thought was going on because it was clearly a costume, right? Which so I didn't immediately go to oh he's hallucinating or imagining this. I was like yeah. oh it's some guy in a costume because JJ got some other college kids to like be the actors to be yeah. the bad guys, which would have been cool. And then, especially you know, if he accidentally stabbed him, and then, <laughs> well, it, but then, murder. oh man, the game led to murder. Because I'm looking at, okay, how do, how do we get back to that intro scene where somebody dies because of this game? It's like, well, okay, well, there's there's a perfect opportunity for this game to go out of hand and somebody wind up dead because you decided to bring a sword into the cavern and didn't tell your friends that you had other kids playing the bad guys and they got immersed in it and instead of being like oh we're play acting he just 
knifed the dude. But no, complete hallucination of, uh, you know, original series Star Trek quality. Um, Don't worry, it comes back. Disappointing. He has another nightmare of what a, this is the, the robe guy, very badly executed. And then he breaks up with Kate by saying this, to which I just said, okay, what the hell? He goes, I love you, and I will always love you, but I can't touch you anymore. Like, seriously? <laughs> God, it's like, the Christian values in this, like, it's oozing Christian values. It makes me sick. <laughs> but is it because he's ostensibly engaging in premarital sex with Kate before things go awry? Like, when he's still a, a good, wholesome kid, right? Yeah. And then he's like, his celibacy is part of him falling into a delusion with this game. So like, which one is, is actually the moral choice? Because like, he's deluded in thinking that he's actually a monk and has to like abide by a vow of celibacy. But like, based on the, the Christian values themes, that would be like a good thing. It's so hypocritical. Like there's so many things in this movie that, that just, don't add up and don't make any sense because they're either abandoned or they're just, they don't proceed as a normally or somewhat happily decently told story should pan out. And just so they can ram home the, the point of, you know, D and D is bad, which as we said before is such a wildly misguided attempt at rationalizing like what's actually fucking wrong and it, when it's really like, just simply put people's mental health and they're like dealing with the stresses of growing up. And instead of just being like, you better be a successful fucking, you know, heir to, you know, me, son. It's like, why don't you like listen to your kids fucking problems and not give them like these irrational things. And then when they have, they do the one thing to get away from it for a little while. They're like, that's the fucking work of the devil. And, like, they make a point to be, like, the kids play the game so they can be a character to, like, help work out what's going on in their mind. Like, yeah. Kate, Kate's character is the strong warrior woman that she wants to be. And JJ's character is, you know, sort of, a like, mischievous and and clever. Robbie's character is, you know, the 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 righteous and peaceful holy man who only uses violence as a last resort they're creating idealized versions of themselves and then and then acting that out which like i think they're trying to play up and be like this is how real it is to them but also that just seems like the function of art <laughs> in general <laughs> like yeah. you make art to imagine a world that you want to exist or to you know call attention to the things in the world that you don't want to exist, like to engage with the problems that you see in the world, in yourself, in others, and and put it into a, a creative outlet so that you can cope with it or process it or find what you need to change or at least get a respite from it from a for a little bit. Literally, the the only way they made Dungeons and Dragons look like a bad thing to do was the game that those four were playing was really boring. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so my question here is like, 
I guess I missed something, but like I guess Daniel had gone into the caves at some point, and like that this just happens so that him and Kate can get together. Like obviously, yeah, he um, decided to sneak in the caverns to see what to see if he could find something JJ had hidden so he could get an advantage mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, he and cheated. Game. He's like, oh man, I cheated. I, it's so bad. I can't believe I did this so, like morally compromised thing. And then but it's also, like, I don't care. He cheated in a game that nobody wins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> why? <laughs> and, and why would anybody care? I mean, I get like, you know, if if the DM is like crafting some storyline that they want to, you know, have that element of surprise, it's sort of like spoiling a movie, but it's not like it's not like cheating on an exam. Like yeah. there's and they're in college. They have plenty of opportunities for him to be like I cheated on my exam so I cuz I didn't want to study cuz I wanted to play M&Ms. That's what that's a realistic sort of thing that you could imagine somebody being like, I've misplaced my priorities, so I'm gonna, you know, become I'm gonna disregard my academic integrity so I have more time to play this game that I'm obsessed with. Like instead of just nothing. <laughs> like these kids my do, expectations were low. These kids do nothing. They do nothing wrong. No, with the exception nothing. of underage drinking, and that's debatable. Uh, <laughs> and for most of them, it probably isn't even underage drinking, just for JJ. So JJ is the only one who does anything wrong. Yeah, so basically nothing that happens in this movie should have happened. Yeah, but it, I also contend that it all would have happened if the game didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, precisely. Like, you could All of the same that. outcomes would have happened. Maybe they would have had a slightly different flavor, but because clearly... You know, what was wrong with Robbie wasn't that he was playing this game. It was that he had unprocessed emotions from his brother abandoning him and feeling guilty like he enabled that and his mom being a raging alcoholic and his dad being cold and and emotionless. He has all of the ingredients for mental health trauma. And... When it happens, they're like, oh, it's because of this game. It's like, no, you literally showed us all of the reasons (laughs) why this kid needs help and provided no assistance to him. And instead, we're just like, oh, it must have been that game. I love how the mom at the end was like, I just want you to know it's not your fault. (laughs) Yeah, I know. She said it three times. Did anyone think it was their fault? Clearly, the mom did, and she was projecting. Like and nobody even said like oh I feel so guilty about you know what happened right and, and she was comforted she was just like hey nice to meet you for the first time ever by the way this isn't your fault yeah <laughs> like like they all they all picked all three of them picked up that it was a mental health issue and they needed to go intervene and help their friend yeah except the parents except for the parents yeah They're like it's not your fault you brought him back into the game the game done, does crazy things to him and you couldn't have known. How could you have known? You're just a bunch of kids. Also, You're just a bunch of sophomores in college who are all uh, under the uh, legal drinking age. And and like you said, Dylan, they completely failed to address JJ's suicidal ideation and his mental health crisis, which just sort of was like, good, he changed his mind. Yes. But they never, they never even had any sort of resolution to, like, they mentioned, like, oh, it must be really hard for him to be 16 and in college and not feel like he belongs with the rest of us. And even though we try to be his friend, that's got to be a tough situation. And then he's over there like, hey, Merlin the bird, 
I'm going to kill myself. And Merlin's like, birds don't talk. And he's like, all right, well, see you never. Um, and... I thought there was going to be some kind of like playing off of that with Gump. And that doesn't happen either at all in the movie. Yeah. And the the suicide or murder-suicide that they tease at the beginning was a complete a complete misdirection. It was a complete yeah. ruse. It was the three friends trying to find Robbie and not get in trouble for trespassing in the cavern. So they called in a fake suicide. I wanted blood. <laughs> Jesus. Well, honestly, honestly, like in the sense of movie, in the sense of the movie, at least that would have had some gravity to it. Where like yeah. calling in a fake emergency and then, and then having the media report on it as facts, like they hadn't clearly, they hadn't found a body if there if it was a fake call like there was nothing there so well everyone fucking reported on this in real life and took the fucking book as fact too so it's like art imitates life no i guess so (laughs) well but i mean seriously that that's what happened in this like the reporter did absolutely was just like okay okay we're live uh i guess somebody committed suicide seems like he played mazes and monsters i don't know it'd be Um, like if if like the neighbor by my mom's place was just chopping wood and she, she just like was alarmed by it and then just was like this man tried to assault me with that axe and it's like no i didn't i just did this and it made a loud noise and you got scared and then they're just like did you hear neighbor bob tried to murder this poor woman with this axe while he was doing it he just snapped and went insane and it's like what but the only thing that snapped was a log <laughs> I'm just trying to keep my house warm. <clears throat> yeah. And so, yeah, we're back to the beginning of the movie. This is... Uh... And also, the the callback to the beginning of the movie doesn't happen at the end of the movie. No. It happens, like, what, two There's 30 minutes the left through? in the movie. So, again, completely irrelevant to anything that actually transpires. Perhaps the most important part of this movie... Well, maybe not the most important part. I think that's at the very end. Maybe the second most important part is that the fucking mayor from Jaws shows up as a real dickhead detective who has a real big problem with M&Ms. And he asks if Gump does drugs and proposes the, as we've been discussing, outlandish theory that Gump was killed by someone else playing the game who's taking it too seriously. Uh, Just need to reiterate, this guy sucks so much. He is so good at playing scumbag characters <laughs> i mean i kind of wish they did do drugs because then it would really be a hit piece but they that would again, explain the monster it would explain you know well, yeah. like there was there was no there was no action taken by any of the four players of the game that would suggest that the game had changed their behavior or their way of thinking right yeah. like they didn't start dabbling in like black magic rituals outside of outside of the game or inside the game for that matter the yeah, biggest um, thing that's not, that, that happened was jj stopped wearing hats ah <laughs> uh, that was the sign and you know they they weren't doing drugs they weren't you know they weren't they weren't doing anything wrong they weren't doing anything that would make you go oh man something is really corrupting these youth it was just they play a game on Wednesday nights. Who cares? Literally, who cares? <laughs> it's an hour and a half of me going, who cares? Get this kid some help. 
Yeah, exactly. But how can he? Because the mayor from Jaws says that there's no luck with the results. They can't find the body. That's blunt. And says they actually don't know where Gump is. But if he's in the caverns, he's dead. <laughs> this dude just traumatized these students so badly. What a fucking gigantic piece of shit. Thankfully, he's gone now for the rest of the movie. <laughs> he's going go, to go about. to his... If uh... your friend is in there, he's long since dead. <laughs> Now, if you excuse me, I gotta head off and catch the ferry out to Amity. Keep these beaches open. <laughs> uh, so the gang manages to figure out that Gump went to New York City to find his brother. This is true. We even get a pretty cool... There's the other heavy metal reference. The shot of the marquee with Slayer on it. Yeah. On the main streets of New York. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they had to get at least one metal band in there. And it's not yeah. even like the Slayer font that everybody knows. It's like it's really also, old. It's not like he goes to the show. It's not no, like, he oh, does not game, go to a Slayer this game show. turned him on to evil heavy metal, like doubling <laughs> down on the Satan. He just like, literally, it's in the background. Do you think it's inferred? That the people in the the leather jackets, the uh, the the punk looking dudes or the metal looking dudes that go and try to beat them up, do you think it's inferred that they were from the Slayer concert that they're just like hanging around afterwards? No, I think that was It'd be just great like, if it was Slayer. <laughs> I think it would, yeah, if they had a cameo and like it was Carrie King trying to mug him, that would be, yeah, that would take this movie from watchable to great. <laughs> It'd be great if, like, they wanted to, like, have a scene where he goes to the Slayer concert, but then Carrie King was just like, no, you gotta fucking pay to get in, because we're hardworking fucking <laughs> weirdo musicians. There's, like, every opportunity they have to make the the kids that are supposed to be at the center of this D&D corruption, like, they just fall flat. And the I think the, like, leather jacket thing was just, like, that was the 80s depiction of bad, street bad people. Yeah. Like they yeah. were rock steady and bebop essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he stabs one of them because he is, you know, a holy man of peace because he thinks one of them is a scaly monster. Doesn't kill him. The guy's can just we, like... We, so this, this reminds me, going back to the first time that he stabs the lizard person. First, when he introduces his character, he talks about how he uses up all of his spell slots and then stabs then uses his his sword which when brian and i were watching this brian you made up made up the uh are you uh, brought up the point that swords do like zero fucking damage the spells are where the big power is that's how you do the damage uh but anyway like, when i've exhausted you know all of my power to completely annihilate him with the baptism of flames then i'll bring out my pokey stick yeah and do like two <laughs> damage when he first stabs the lizard person, he doesn't even try to throw spells. He just stabs. But he they comment on that, though, because he's, they like, did? upset about it and has this, like, crisis of faith about who he really is because he got scared and immediately went to violence. Uh, okay. And then he had that dream where Robe, Robe Hall was like, you know what it's like to kill. Now you must be a holy man. None of it makes sense, mind you, but they did at least acknowledge it. Oh, okay. But then he did it again, and this time there was a real person who was a mugger, and arguably he was totally within the rights of self-defense. But also uh, the guy, like that guy, looked so. He was just like, "Damn, that guy like actually stabbed me. I can't believe he did that. <laughs> he seemed perfectly fine." Yeah. <laughs> Although, 
how that guy managed not to react in the time it took for him to like dig around in his pocket, like flip <laughs> open his Swiss, Swiss army knife and go. Like, <laughs> it was like a minute and a half of like, excuse me, hang on one second. Yeah. And then when he finally did it, he's like, Oh, hold on. Let me help you out there. I'll just push my body onto your fucking knife. <laughs> like really well fucking choreographed. He phones home, delivers some awful crying dialogue. Not the worst though. And tells Kate what happens. They're going to meet him at Daniel's place in the city. He winds up going into the subway tunnels because he thinks it's a maze. Duh. He runs into a hobo who says he's the king of France, sarcastically. And that was literally believes him. Unironically. maybe the only, like, kind of good part. It was unironically the realest dialogue in the whole fucking movie. This, This homeless person, like, seeing this like clearly privileged but troubled white dude wandering around and he's like what the fuck let me humor him i guess or whatever i have like real problems sure whatever it it felt more authentic than anything else absolutely so like the clues that robbie gave his friends were the most generic kindergarten level mysteries like as soon as they started adding in, because he drew this map from what of the maze that he'd seen in his dreams, right? And he called it like how, the, how is it a maze? It was one tube. Two how two towers and the Great Hall, or something like that. Like the, the quest for Great Hall. And you know, like they find this map that he's drawn. Uh, I guess the tube in his dreams was facing different directions and different <laughs> lengths at different nights. Yeah. Um and, and like they look at it in like two towers. Well, clearly that's Tolkien, and the Great Hall. What could that be? And then Kate's like, "That's right. He told me, you know, because we dated. Sorry, Dan. Uh, <laughs> that he had a brother who ran away and completely abandoned and traumatized him, and his name was Hall. Maybe that has something to do with it. Like, maybe. You think? <laughs> and then they're like, "He's in New York." I wonder what two towers means. Like clearly he's going to the twin towers. It takes these characters like five times longer to figure this out than any numbskull watching the movie. I I feel like so many of these old TV movies, I don't know if this is just a symptom of like what they had to work with, but everybody just seems to act so much dumber in a TV movie than they do in real life. And that could be like sci-fi original or this, or what have you. And obviously there's examples of where it's like, this is like, you know, fine or like, you know, good, of good quality. This is not one of them. No. But thankfully we're almost at the end of this train wreck. (laughs) The hobo directs him to, you know, the two towers and uh, eventually the rest of them figure out where he is. And After going up several escalators. Yeah, and he managed to elude them very easily. And they stop him from jumping off of the top of the World Trade Center and tell Gump it's a game. And then, oh boy, more tears and a noise that I'm not sure I can recreate, <laughs> but I most certainly rewound and recorded because I have to put it in as a sound bit in this because this scene is <laughs> unreal this was truly something i could not believe what i was watching base control yes 
and I have absolute authority in this game. Game? Game. What am I doing here? Ken, why can't I remember? But they got him and they hugged it out and he did. Daniel J. Lewis, eat your so. fucking heart out. This is acting. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, did we look up how many Oscars Tom Hanks has? No, but we should. I would say he has at least three. I don't know. All from this movie. <laughs> Tom Hanks uh, he's has only won, won two Academy Awards. He's uh, been nominated six times. He's won seven Primetime Emmy Awards, four Globe Golden Globes, two SAG Awards. Oh, nominate. Okay, he's only won two, but he's been nominated for six Academy six. Awards for acting, Best yeah. Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Kids, you can do anything. Just keep at it. <laughs> <laughs> you can go from mazes and monsters to saving private ryan life is a wonderful thing and the da vinci code that classic Cast he's away. been in a lot he's been in a lot of movies they can't all be winners <laughs> yeah well three months later everyone's doing a-okay and even gump who stayed home from school to see a therapist but Actually, it turns out he's been fully claimed by the influence of Mazes and Monsters, and the gang joins him on a quest around his sprawling backyard before they say goodbye forever. And it's, like, just weirdly, like, melancholy, but also kind of played off for laughs. Like, I don't know. It's a very bizarre, weird ending that I didn't really fully understand. <laughs> I was kind of expecting, though I guess expecting is probably not the right term because this movie has def definitely like under-delivered as far as expectations were concerned. <laughs> kind of, maybe what more hoping, was hoping for an Of Mice and Men ending where they're like, yes, let's walk into the woods. Yes, let's. <laughs> yep, <just> keep walking. <laughs> Pop. <laughs> No, but that didn't that, happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> Tom Hanks was not euthanized at the end of the movie for nope, the record. Nope, they just let his brain turn into soup. <laughs> Pretty much. Apparently it's, he was seeing It's remarkably offensive. Yeah, it is. It, it is, like, there's a lot of things about that movie that have not aged well. No, <laughs> no. There's so many things about this that have not aged well. My overall review of this would be dull, bad acting, insanely melodramatic at times, insensitive to people who have had suicidal thoughts or have suicidal yeah. thoughts or related mental illness. Any sort of mental illness, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the treatment of mental illness as A, something that can be caused by media, mm -hmm. and B, something that is essentially incurable, unless it's just thinking about suicide because the girl who's four years older than you doesn't like you it, it like it's a completely hopeless scenario and it, it's viewed as like it's a it's a result of something that he did and elected to do despite you know his parents telling him not to it's uh you know completely doesn't address any of the obvious things that could actually cause 
his mental health issues and just is like, oh, no, it's not the, you know, cold and distant father. It's not the trauma of his brother abandoning him and the associated guilt that's never been addressed. It's not the fact that his mother's an alcoholic and his parents constantly fight in front of him. Nope, it's a role-playing game. Thank fuck we've made some decent progress in trying to erode the uh, stigma that is mental health and the associations with that. It's, it's, we've, we, I feel like we've not come far enough, but we've definitely eroded, I think, some of that since then. Well, you watch something like that and you're like, oh yeah, no, things were way worse back then. Yep. Yeah, that's, again, like just thinking about it, back, to think about it in the context of now where it's like, it's okay to, or, you know, I mean, it should have always been, but like, it is okay. And you should talk about these things. You know, you should be forward about these things. You will live a better life. And like, even if you don't know how to solve them, you know, you can get help for it. You know, I know it's Mm -hmm. still difficult and not widely available for everybody, but it's more available than it has been. Yeah. No, I mean, the stigmas definitely still exist and, and access and affordability is an issue with mental health care as it is with any type of healthcare, but perhaps even more so, but you know, it it is important that people are able to get the help that they need when they need it. Sometimes even when they don't necessarily need it, they just need to check in, you know, and get their, their checkup for their brain. I would love to know what Tom Hanks thinks of this movie right now. I'm guessing Tom Hanks refuses to speak about this movie. I'm guessing Tom Hanks probably forgot that he even did this movie. (laughs) What? What's this? I wonder if Tom Hanks plays Dungeons and Dragons or has since. I want to show him that clip of him at the end of the movie and see if he would like find it funny to be like, wow, that is awful. (laughs) That would, uh, that'd be a fun one to spring on him next time he hosts. Wait, wait, don't tell me on NPR. (laughs) (laughs) If you do want a good D and D inspired story, I would suggest reading Wolf and white van by John Darnell. Very good book that does far more interesting things with a role-playing game such as this. So also forgot to mention that there's two people in this movie um, besides Tom Hanks and the mayor from Jaws, Wendy Crewson, who was in all of the Santa Claus movies, which is kind of insane. And there's a small appearance by Kevin Peter Hall, who also played the predator. Oh shit. Was he the, the green lizard guy? No, I believe he was actually the science teacher. Okay, the guy with the skeleton. Yes, I don't believe he actually played the uh, big rubber suit monster. Oh, that, that was a teacher, not a fellow student? I, I don't know. He, he played a person. Let's compromise <laughs> and say he was a TA. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, he needed some dinner. Yeah. So, um, and uh, yeah, so we're at the end of this movie. I would not recommend that anybody watch this. Um, I would. I don't know. It's like, it's pretty bad and it just hasn't aged well. And if it were campier, I think it would have been more fun, but it's not super campy. I I think it is accidentally campy. I laughed a lot while watching this movie. It's great for quipping back at it. Um, I do think, you know, the content advisory is probably warranted because it is a ridiculously insensitive portrayal of legitimate mental health issues. But if that is not an issue for a viewer and they are in the mood for something in the so bad you enjoy 
the schadenfreude of watching it fail at every step, <laughs> uh, then it's fantastic. It's a great way to spend an hour and a half. You could definitely do worse because I've seen I've seen worse movies that are just like worse in that there's not even any level of enjoyment. I think there is something kind of charming about how badly this fails and how hard it tries. Yeah, um, definitely. Where like you can't fake that. That's the magic of a of a good bad movie is that it really really believes in itself, and it's just incompetent. It's why the room is so damn good. Plan Nine from Outer this, Space this, is the same way. This was still better than Evil Bong versus the Ginger Dead Man. Exactly. No, like nobody those, should but, watch those movies. <laughs> but those movies set out to be bad movies. Like. Mm -hmm if they if they succeed they're bad movies and if they fail they're bad movies it, it's it's a completely no stakes waste of everybody's time like this movie had something to say it's just <laughs> that what it had to say was dumb <laughs> uh well um i i neglected to do this on the last couple episodes but i should probably just lift off some uh movies i've been watching so this is kind of a, a long list so I'll, I'll run through it real quick um, but so this is kind of covering a lot of what I've watched over the last few months. I have watched almost, and I, and I touched on the, some of these in the last, uh, episode I did, but I'll just run through it for completion's sake. Uh, I've watched almost all of the demons movies, which I highly recommend everybody check out. Um, there's only two that are actually sequels. All of them have come out that, that have come out are just, they just do the weird Italian movie thing where they're like, yeah, it's this, it's part of this franchise because of course it is like, nobody needs to know, but they're all pretty good. Um, to certain, you know, to one degree or another, I, the first, the first one's great. The second one's pretty good. Demons three, the ogre was a made for TV movie, but actually not too bad. Uh, demons three, the church is great. Demons There's two three, demon threes. There's three demons threes. There's Demons 3, The Ogre, Demons 3, The Church, and Demons 3, Black Demons, which I'll just say is bad with, for reasons you can probably figure out based on the title. Uh, so there's literally a Demons 3 trilogy. Yes, yes. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure that, like, Demons, like, I, I have it in another note in here, but, like, Demons... Four came out before like Demons Two or something like that. I don't know, but Demons Four, the sect is very good. Um, if that's true, that just means they were really confident in the success of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> like we're just gonna skip ahead. This is Demons Four. Demons Two is coming later. Well, not. I think they all like hit the markets at different times, yeah. so or something like that. So that's why. Uh, what else? Demons Five, The Devil's Veil. That was all right. Uh, Demons Six has like three names demon six de profundus edgar allen pose the black cat armageddon it is not edgar allen pose the black cat but it's a fun movie cemetery man rules uh demonia by lucio fulci it's not bad hellraiser 2 hellbound rules yes. alligator rules venom 2 really good um really let there yeah. be carnage yeah i was I was surprised by how much I liked oh. Venom 2. I really liked it. Took a trip back to like 2002, watched Uzumaki, uh, City of the Living Dead, House by the Cemetery. Those were all right. Uh, New York Ripper was great. I watched the director's cut of Midsummer. That movie is great, but the director's cut, I think the regular cut is is better. 
uh, personally speaking. Uh, I watched The Gorgon. That was pretty good. Hammer Horror. I watched The Condemned for another podcast. That sucked. Uh, <laughs> uh, I watched Near Dark. Mm, I wasn't a huge fan. Chud. Loved Chud. I uh, watched The Vampire Moth, which is like a 1950s Japanese horror movie. I don't know if I like liked it, but it's more of like an interesting movie because it's kind of like just cool to see what they were doing at that time with horror movies. Uh, I watched Fire and Ice, the animated movie. It's like the most heavy metal movie of all time. Except for heavy metal. Oh, yeah. Except for heavy metal. Nothing tops heavy metal. (laughs) I watched this show on HBO called Primal. It's fucking amazing. It's a caveman and a T-Rex have to team up. It doesn't make any sense historically, but it's great. Oh, sick. Yeah, highly recommend that. Also been dipping into a lot of... Chad would like that one. Yeah, he would. It's like Uh, imagining him with a dinosaur friend. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just like a Jack Kirby comic like brought to life. It's fucking amazing. Also been dipping back into a lot of uh, Adult Swim stuff. So I watched Frisky Dingo all the way through, and I've been watching The Venture Brothers and Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Verse is amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I also watched Spider-Man No Way Home and The Batman. And I was kind of mum on both of them. So we, that's what I've been watching. We needed a palate cleanser after Mazes and Monsters, so we watched one of the most wholesome movies to come out recently. Jackass Forever. Oh, I still need to see it. I heard it was good. It was fun. It was exactly what it needed to be. There's really nothing to be said about a Jackass movie because you know exactly what you're going to get and it doesn't disappoint. Like, I don't know. It's like, how do you like really review that? You know, you you don't. You say, I mean, you either talk about it as like what it means, like as a, as a cultural landmark and the fact that this thing that by all rights should never have been successful (laughs) in the first place has been successful for literal decades now. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's things to say about it, but as as far as the movie itself, it's, you know, a bunch of dudes do stupid stunts. You know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to see a lot of dicks and balls. You're going to see a <laughs> lot of people getting hit in their dicks and balls. Uh, you're going to see elaborate stunts and gross-out humor, and it's going to be a blast. I need to see it because I'm, I'm a huge fan. Love that shit. I, another one you need to add to your list and 100% I stand by this is the best movie ever made is Deathgasm. Can confirm. That is on the list. I mean, really, I think you can get away with talking about jackass movies on this because uh, obviously stoners love it and there's enough there's enough heavy rock in those movies. Oh, yeah, there's tons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great soundtracks. Soundtracks are great. Yeah, amazing. I mean, fucking their intro is fantastic. It's a Minutemen, man. Can't go wrong. Thank you for suffering through this. This was a lot of fun. And it was a fun. We all agree that this movie is incredibly problematic. Literally watch any of those other movies that I just like listed off. If you have an hour and a half and you kind of hate yourself and don't think you'll ever amount to anything, watch Mazes and Monsters and realize Tom Hanks did that. You can accomplish whatever you set your mind to. Can, can I re- read a, a quote from Letterboxd? Oh, yes, please. From, from a Letterboxd review. I love Letterboxd because it's either like really thoughtful takes on why a movie is great or not, 
or just completely shitting on it and just like completely <laughs> like the dumbest takes I love there's it. some really weird stuff like i tried to get into it and uh it's it's not really my thing but yeah i listened to another podcast where they read them off and it's like what did people expect yeah <laughs> oh yeah there was there was there was one that was exactly like that it was uh bad movie bad for or oh i'm so deeply disappointed that this bad movie that is famous for being bad was bad <laughs> thank you no this this one is maybe maybe just like slightly cringe but uh my grandma wouldn't let her kids play dungeons and dragons because of this movie i'm glad she didn't not because it's dangerous or of the devil but because i would have never been born <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh you know the irony of the whole you know people who play dungeons and dragons are into nerdy stuff don't have friends and are antisocial. like you have to have friends to play dungeons and dragons like if you're yeah. if your like hobby is around gaming you it requires other people yeah you can't do that on your own and uh, and and the the stereotype that they're all virgins when clearly everybody except hat dude was banging mm-hmm well, they were all banging the same person, but they were all banging the same person, but they were all banging. It was a love rhombus, to be sure. <laughs> a love rhombus. I doubt that that is not what D&D players looked like back in the 80s. Oh, no. I don't that. know. I mean, how old is Maybe. Henry Cavill? That's true. Henry Cavill is a massive, massive nerd. And like Joe Manganiello, like all those dudes that are on like and you know, uh what's his name uh vin diesel right isn't he a big D D fan yeah I think so. yeah 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 so like look at all these these handsome dudes out there rolling some dice they're too they're too handsome they just don't know or people just don't people know people just don't see their real. soft side they don't they're take so them seriously <laughs> it's about family <laughs> Thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun. This is Doomsday Prophet. You want to tell people where they can find you? We are on Bandcamp, doomsdayprophet.bandcamp.com, uh, or just regular old doomsdayprophet.com. Uh, we're also on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all your regular social media things, and, and Spotify. Um, and uh, in case you haven't figured out that Ryan and I and our bandmates are uh, nerds, the band name is, in fact, a pun. So Prophet is spelled P-R-O-F-I-T. I also do a radio show on WHUP, Community Station out of Hillsboro, that streams all around the world. And back in January, Dylan was a guest co-host, and we dove into the world of Japanese doom metal and related sounds and uh, it was last. sick it was rad as fuck so you can go to yeah. com, and we put out a new episode pretty much every sunday and dylan's episode is in the archive so definitely go check that out yeah i was really fucking high and kind of drunk when it happened so <laughs> it, it was just like it was a, a it was a lot of talking let's put it that way <laughs> hey it was all good shit man it was all good shit i've we've we've kind of switched up the format a little bit this year uh, so it's been cool to have guests kind of talk through music a little bit more. Like we had uh, in March, our theme was Kraut Rock, um, so-called Kraut Rock, uh, mm-hmm. and the legacy of Kraut Rock. And we had Alex Maolo, uh guest on that, curate that, and gave us a really fantastic in-depth 101 on, on Kraut Rock and the legacy it left behind. 
Sweet. Yeah. But it's pretty cool taking these deep dives. So I don't know what we're going to do next, but we'll figure it out. Sweet. Well, that is uh, movies from Green Hell. And uh, we'll be back with another. I can't guarantee it'll be a good movie, but hopefully it'll be more, uh, it'll be uh, of at least better film quality than this one. Well, so, if you do uh, Deathgasm, it'll be a great movie. Yes. If, if you do get Deathgasm, I am going to invite myself back onto the show. Because <laughs> I yeah, you may, that's, that's that our, our band movie. We actually watched it while we uh, were recording in Idle Orbit. That's what we watched at the studio. Oh, is that why when I put the album on, I was like, why is this selling a movie? Yeah. <laughs> yep. You just recorded the movie. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just like a it's, massive we, troll. Summon some demons. It's cool. It's fine. They're just running around. Nice. Well, yeah, I think that one's definitely on the on the list to to pop up. But yeah, the the, the world of movies that feature heavy metal and cannabis is uh, far and wide, and it's gonna take a while to hit them all. But we'll get there. We'll we'll get there eventually. Well, thanks for having us, man. It's a worthy oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be along for the ride. Yeah. Well, it, uh, I'm sure that the, the train will come back around at some point. I'll make you watch uh, another thing. So, But I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming back on and, and giving me some, some time out of your day. Of course. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, we're going to be watching bad movies whether or not you tell us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's how we roll.
ਮੈਂ 